Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume Rx, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. It's your host, Amanda Guarneri. I am so happy to have you listening today. Welcome back if you've listened before or welcome if this is your first time tuning in. I know your time is valuable and the fact that you've chosen to spend the next 45 minutes or so or less if you listen at one and a half or two X speed like I do. <laughs> um, I'm just really honored. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we have a guest that I just interviewed. Her name is Jenna Lazuski. She is a doctorally prepared family nurse practitioner. And we are talking all about the attacks on the nurse practitioner profession and specifically the online bullying and shaming that has been going on, mainly by our physician colleagues against not just nurse practitioners, but uh, non physician practitioners. So nurse practitioners, physician associates, and registered nurse anesthetists. So this has been a problem uh, over the past bit of time. So Jenna and I dive into a conversation about it and we express our opinions. We give a little bit of a background of, of what we've seen happening and who the main players are that are really taking very targeted action and and basically building campaigns against nurse practitioners as a whole and the authority of our practice. So I'm excited for you to tune in. This is definitely a, a charged topic. And if you are joining us from the physician profession, whether you're a med student or a resident, welcome. You know, at the end of the episode, I said, and I'll, I'll preface this in the intro too, we are very much open to respectful and intelligent and emotionally intelligent conversation around this topic. We love, personally, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but Jenna and I, we love our physician colleagues. We love collaboration. We love our healthcare colleagues, regardless of what credential you have. And, and ultimately, we're all about making sure our patients get the best care from providers and practitioners who are happy and thriving and working at the top of their scope. So I'm excited for you to tune into this interview. We start right off with Jenna introducing herself, but let me give you her long bio. So like I said, she's a doctorally prepared and FNP and a mother of two young children. She completed her BSN to DNP program at University of Massachusetts Medical School Graduate School of Nursing five years ago. And after finishing the master's portion of the program, she began working in primary care while completing her DNP. She currently works in pre-surgical evaluation at an academic medical center. So let's dive into it and welcome Jenna to the show. So I am Jenna Lazuski. I am a family nurse practitioner, and I also have my um, doctor of nursing practice degree. I've been an NP now um, a little over five years. I 
took the boards May 25th because um, that, that is just like sealed in my my brain. And I currently am working in pre-surgical evaluation is what our hospital calls it. Um, you might have heard of it as pre-admission testing or pre-testing. I've been there a little over three years now, and um, that's at an, a, a large academic medical center. So I counted the other day because now I'm working on the um, schedule for us. There's 25 APPs that work in our department to cover basically all of the history and physicals and kind of coordinate all the care to make sure patients are optimized before surgery or procedures. And prior to that, I worked in primary care right out of NP school. And I'll get into that a little bit more, but it's was while I was doing the DNP. So I was doing that part-time and I work per diem in like a workplace-based healthcare system. So it's actually for like an insurance company that's not health insurance and they have a primary care clinic that's staffed for all their employees to come to. And so that's been really interesting as just like something different to do. Awesome. Yeah. And Jenna is also a mentor inside of the NP Society, which is really how you and I, well, I mean, you and I kind of got connected via social media, right? Like you do have a social media platform. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, you can find me basically on Instagram as my NP Jenna. I started that in December of this year after many months of kind of going back and forth with what I wanted to do with the account. Basically, as the pandemic was happening and I had seen just so much misinformation out there. And then as soon as the vaccine started to roll out, I was like, we need to make sure (laughs) that people really understand what are the vaccines and just get more evidence-based info out there. So I started that in December of this last year in 2020. And yeah, I'm kind of like an eclectic account. If you want to think of like the three things that I mainly focus on, it's combating misinformation, NP-related topics, and then just kind of my work-life balance with being a mom of two young children. I have a I go by half years because so much changes in six months' time, <laughs> but a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Yes, that is yeah. very true that things change uh, so much in half a year. I, I can completely <laughs> agree with that. I mean, it, it, it's like days things change, but definitely <laughs> those half years count. Yes, yes, for sure. Well, I'm excited because today we are going to talk about kind of a, an arm of misinformation. You know, I know that you are really passionate about misinformation when it comes to medical information. And what we're going to dive into a little bit is kind of talking about misinformation about us as nurse practitioners and about our profession and not just misinformation, but kind of like blatant attacks against the NP profession, which is happening. It's happening a lot. It's happening way more than it ever did when I first started. And so I think that uh, it's important for us to kind of break this down, shed a light on what's happening without like giving them uh, a platform. You know, we're not necessarily going to contribute to advertising people who, who kind of trample all over us, but uh, at the same time, like talk about how, you know, how we can combat this as, as a group. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this with you, not only are we kind of like friends and buddies, and we can talk about this type of stuff. Uh, but you are also a DNP prepared NP. And I feel like a lot of this conversation comes about 
with the term doctor, right? Like I feel like Mm -hmm. with more DNPs has come more uh, attacks from the medical profession about the terminology of doctor. Uh, So tell us just a little bit about your education specifically, when and how you got your DNP. Yeah. So I took more of the traditional nursing approach, if you will. I was in high school. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted, I loved, like, got such a thrill from anatomy and physiology and knew that I wanted to do something um, in healthcare. I actually did, I was I was looking it up yesterday because I couldn't remember what it was called, but it's called the National Youth Leadership Forum. And so that was in nursing. We got to go to Boston. We got to go to a bunch of different hospitals different schools because there's so many schools around here and just kind of learn about the different nursing fields because there's so many different things you could do. And so from there, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to do this. And so I got a bachelor's of science in nursing for a four-year degree from Salve Regina University in Rhode Island. And then after that, I worked in inpatient dual diagnosis. So for those of you who don't know that, that's detox and inpatient mental health. So that really started me on my nursing journey in kind of like, I think we experienced a lot of like baptism by fire type of things. So I was in charge my first night ever as a a nurse. Yeah, I worked evening shift and I worked at on that particular day with an LPN. And so my license had kind of like superseded hers in regards to delegation and things like that. So I had to be in charge and admit all of the patients on evening shift. And, you know, at the end of that, I was like, okay, I survived. (laughs) And I feel like that was kind of an also an introduction into a lot of the like lack of support that we can experience oftentimes as we're starting our careers. So that was interesting. And really also helped me, you know, be able to adapt quickly to certain scenarios. So from there, I worked in um, emergency mental health. And while I was there, I kind of worked as a clinician, believe it or not. And I think that's changed since I was there. But I was evaluating patients, determining kind of which level of care that they would be going to, whether that was inpatient, partial programs, outpatient, or if they were safe enough to kind of go home and do that. And I ultimately didn't make that decision. I would present the case to the attending uh, psychiatrist. But from there, I had somebody that was working with me that was going to the school's program to become a nurse practitioner. And he was like telling me all about it. And I was telling me more information because I had in the back of my mind thought someday I wanted to be an NP. I had an FMP growing up. And when I was 16, I remember we had this conversation like someday maybe that's what, what you'll do. And I wanted to just try to get a little bit more experience in nursing first before I kind of like made that determination. And as we, you know, were talking, I was like, oh, I really could see myself doing this. So let me take a course. Let me take advanced patho and see how it goes and see if I like it, see if I like the program before I do like an official application into the the program. And so I went to the University of Massachusetts Medical School. They have a graduate school of nursing. And when I applied, I originally did the traditional pathway. So there's a direct entry program, which I know that you've done, Amanda, and not there, but a different direct entry pathway. And I did like the traditional nursing route, which was a BSN to a master's and getting your NP degree there. 
And I originally thought I wanted to do adult Jaro. And so that's what I had applied for. And that's what I, program I had started in. And then as I was going through the, the coursework and just kind of experiencing life, because I had transitioned from the mental health side of an emergency department to the medical side of an emergency department. And so I was working as um, an ER nurse for all of school. But as I was experiencing kind of different patient populations, I realized that I not didn't want to be limited, but I wanted to have as many options as possible to me. So I switched and I did the FNP tract. And if you were a traditional pathway um, student, the only way that you could get your FNP at the time was if you did a BSN to a DNP. And so I never originally, yeah. And so I never originally, that also was in the back of my mind because I was reading more about it. This was back in, when was I applying the program? like 2014, 2015. And the DMP was relatively like a newer degree. And so I was trying to research more about it as I was getting into it. And I liked the concepts. I liked that it was really population health focused. I liked that it was trying to rise up the profession in the sense of having more leadership opportunities and just kind of all of the quality improvement, everything that was going into it. So I decided, okay, I really want to do the FMP, and so I'm going to switch into to this tract. And so what was unique that year was the program was going to be switching for all the incoming students to only DMP. So now everybody that goes to that program only gets a DMP. And my year, we were able to kind of graduate to be able to sit with the boards, obtain our master's degree, and then we would continue on into the DMP program. So I graduated. And I feel like I'm in that time period right now of everybody trying to take their boards and everything. And I was actually starting to enroll in my summer course, which was organizational health systems and healthcare financing. And I was like, I have to take these boards right away. Like, you know, so that, <laughs> that, that kind of, I can't think of anything else. I just kind of want to get that done. I want to do my review course. I want to take the boards and I want to move on and get a job because I also wanted to try to figure out what was part-time. And I not that I wanted to like one up everybody, but I really wanted to try to be the first out there as a candidate to be able to get like a part-time position because there there weren't a ton of part-time positions out there. So took the boards, passed, which was like so great, <laughs> the greatest day of, of your life. <laughs> That's why it's like seared in my brain. And um, can you, continued on into the DMP program full-time while I worked part-time in primary care. I did that 24 hours a week and which wasn't just 24 hours a week, as we know. And yeah, so then as I was going through that, I had other challenges. My mother was really sick throughout all of my nursing years and ended up passing away about a semester before I was supposed to graduate. And I was also about seven months pregnant at the time. And so I was really trying to just kind of finish up my my project and really you know, kind of become a mother for the first time and kind of deal with the grief of what I was experiencing. I know that I had a good project, but I I didn't publish it. I didn't feel like, you know, it wasn't my best work because I was just in kind of like a survival mode type of thing. But the work that I ended up doing was I made a like culturally tailored educational program for Asian Indian older adults in a, a day health center. And so what I was trying to do was increase knowledge and decrease the risk of diabetes and prediabetes. The reason I had picked that project was because when I was working in primary care, I worked with an Indian physician and she had 
a really large population of South Asian patients. And I didn't realize just how great a number of diabetes was and why why was I seeing so many people without, you know, the traditional risk factors, if you will. That's kind of like why I got into my project. And then I also did a leadership residency um, with an associate chief nursing officer at a community hospital. Um, she used to be my old boss when I worked in the ED there as well, because I worked in kind of like two different places. And I did a lot of quality improvement projects with her. And so that was a really great experience. And she was always like a nurse's nurse and just really wanted us to kind of have a seat at the table and to have our voices be heard at meetings. And so that was one of the, one of the reasons why I had chosen to work with her. A lot of people have said over the years, well, why are you getting a DNP? And, you know, you don't get paid more. That's always like the first thing that you hear. And I always, <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> or actually, <laughs> or I can um, advocate for myself and say, I have, you know, these different valuable things to bring to the table based on the skills and, and things that I've learned throughout my DMP program. And so I really tried to advocate for, for what I have learned through those courses to help really uplift our profession into that seat at the table. Yeah, I love that. And I have a confession. I have been that person. <laughs> I have been that person who has questioned the DNP because, you know, I've said, you know, it's not a clinical degree. You don't do any more clinical mm -hmm. patient hours. You don't necessarily make more money. Like it doesn't prepare you clinically in, in a different way. And, and you and I have talked about this a little bit. And, you know, the, the DNP is now a little bit on my mind because, you know, I think that that, that my view is really myopic, right? Like, because the whole world of advanced practice nursing is not limited to clinical bedside practice. And even if it were, having that additional training information, you know, about population health and healthcare systems and, and business acumen even uh, is so super valuable. Yeah. And we'll get into it a little bit today, but for my health policy course, which I had never taken anything in relation to policy or business or anything like that until I went into the DMP program, that also shifted my focus on things. And I hear a lot of, you know, we need to change a lot in our healthcare system. And how do we do that? And I think having the experience and realizing that we need to bring our voices to be able to kind of make that change. And I didn't really understand that entirely until I kind of got a little bit of exposure in the health policy course. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just want to say too, I don't think that there's a lot of MPs who have their masters who are already doing all of this, you know, that, that are do, doing the business side of things or getting mad that the way insurances and things like that. And how do we make the changes? And they are being the change agents. I just felt like for me, at least it was giving me more of that foundation that I didn't know I didn't have until I went through the courses. Right. I think you touched on a good point that, you know, as, as nurses, as advanced practice nurses, we kind of have to try a little bit extra hard to get a seat at the table for big decision type of things, whether we're talking about health policy or sometimes even just within an academic medical center, you know, right. like I feel like for the most part, most hospitals, most networks have a nurse in the C-suite, which mm -hmm. is, which is something. Uh, but us as providers, we're kind of in this middle of the road place where, you know, our nursing, our RN colleagues are usually represented really well. 
maybe by a chief nursing officer. And our physician colleagues are usually represented really well with a, a mm-hmm. medical board or a medical staff. But, you know, we're we're kind of in the middle. Like we're a little bit looking for our our lunch table of, of mm-hmm. people to sit with, you know, which I think is a really good kind of segue to this this conversation that we're having about the fact that we are receiving bad publicity basically by by the people that we're supposed to be collaborating with. So I wanted to first ask you if if before I asked you about this topic, like if before yeah. I said, hey, this is what we're going to talk about on the podcast, <laughs> right? were you familiar with some of these campaigns or groups or websites that are strongly anti-non-physician practitioners? And I'm going to say non-physician practitioners because a lot of these campaigns are, are anti-PA as well. And so I want to stand in solidarity with our with our PA colleagues in this conversation. But yeah, would love to hear what your experience has been with these groups. I've never been like a really big like Reddit person. I don't read a lot of the Reddit threads. But as I started to kind of grow my social media platform and and have really seen a lot of you know the different nursing and um, physician counts and things accounts, that's where I saw that there was even more like animosity against the advanced practice provider profession and just kind of seeing back and forth. And then that kind of prompted me to read a little bit more about like what's going on, like why are people saying certain things? And I think if you're not in healthcare or if you're not a provider, it's easy to have like some preconceived notions about what we do and, and things like that. And so the big focus this last year has been the Stop Scope Creep, which was started by the American Medical Association. And this was at the height of the pandemic. And when I saw this kind of going through um, my feed, and I think even through emails, because I am a part of a lot of like the state and federal nurse practitioner bodies. And I was just like, what is happening? (laughs) This is a time where we really need to be coming together, where we've been called to really care for all of these patients in a pandemic. And why are we now trying to divide? And is this the most appropriate time to have these conversations? You know? Um, And so that was, that was very eye opening. And I think you, you can talk about that a little bit more. Um, But I was looking at those, it's like a little post and there's like scrabble pieces and it's like NP, PA and CRNA. And basically the campaign is that physicians should be leading all of the teams for, for, for healthcare and to, to prevent full practice authority for the other advanced practice professions. And I just wanted to say one more thing um, before we get into that a little bit more is I also was mentioning that I was going to be talking on the podcast to another NP on social media this week. And somehow, I forget how the conversation brought this up, but I didn't know that mid-level WTF existed. And I've never been so shocked like in my life that someone is taking time out of their day to create these posts. And so if you haven't seen it yet, I'm not like trying to increase their viewership here, but basically it's screenshotting 
different things that nurse practitioners and probably other APPs, but I was looking at a lot of the nurse practitioner posts they were doing and basically just trying to like rip it apart without any other context. Yeah. Yeah. It's really terrible. Mid-level WTF. And that's, someone had sent me a video, I think either from them or from this other group, Physicians for Patient Protection, Oh yes. abbreviated PPP, which, mm-hmm. you know, sounds like they're a positive <laughs> group, but they're really, they're all about anti-non-physician practitioner provider propaganda. And thank you for mentioning CRNA, by the way. I left I left CRNA out earlier, but yes, we stand in solidarity with them too, because they also have been getting a lot of, uh, of this type of attacks. And basically, there are a lot of Facebook groups online for nurse practitioners. And you would think that the only people in those groups are nurse practitioners, right? There's like a nurse practitioner newbies group and an NP guidance group. And it's supposed to be a place for NPs to learn and network and and, and connect. And uh, unfortunately, there are some questions that are asked there that probably shouldn't be asked there, right? Social media shouldn't be anyone's first line of defense for practice-based questions whatsoever. So I don't want to condone that behavior. But what has ended up happening is there are tons of moles or trolls or whatever you want to call them there that are not NPs in these groups who their job, their hobby is to screenshot the questions that are asked and then post them publicly to basically shame the person and shame the profession due to their lack of knowledge about whatever they've asked. So someone might post a picture of a rash and say, does anyone know what this rash is? Which is, first of all, well, like I said, not appropriate. I'm not condoning that that no, be how not. people make their decisions, but- this, It happens. It happens, right? And uh, But it's not fair that people are then screenshotting that and using that as a way to blast NPs as an entire profession and say, you know, that we're incompetent because our people don't know how to diagnose shingles or whatever it is. Hey friend, this episode is brought to you by my membership community, the NP Society. If you are ready to become the NP you always wanted to be, then the NP Society is the place for you. This is a community that is designed for nurse practitioners and students to thrive beyond the clinical setting. This is a safe space for you. Membership includes access to our off-Facebook chat community, as well as weekly virtual events that include guest expert masterclasses, social events, self-care classes, and clinical roundtable discussions. This is the first organization that puts the professional, that's you, at the center, and I cannot wait to meet you inside. To choose your membership level, head to thenpsociety.com or click the link in the show notes. Again, that's thenpsociety.com, and I hope to see you on the inside. The other thing that's really troubling about this is that some people who are really involved with this are nurses. Did you know that? I did. Mm-hmm. And even the person that I was talking to about who sent me, you know, this mid-level WTF, which I like keep saying it because I'm also like WTF about it. They said that it would have to have been an NP in their closed group that screenshotted and sent it to them. So that's also, you know, we're trying to create safe spaces and especially with like, you know, you have rules for your online community that this doesn't happen and then you're out. But it's so hard to be able to trust each other when we should be able to trust each other in these settings. But yeah, the nursing, I mean, 
I didn't know too much about nurses being involved in this, but I do know just even from personal experience, other nurses really not liking APPs. Yeah, I, I've had that experience as well, where there's been some sort of tension between nurses. And, and I've seen this more like in the actual workplace setting. I don't know if you've experienced this too. Certain attitude towards nurse practitioners in general, sometimes me before they get to know me, because I tend to be able to charm every single nurse. Yes. <laughs> because them with I, of my, like that is part of my job is to make sure that the nurses feel confident in me as, as a provider, but side note, but, um, but yeah. And so I don't know if it is envy or a feeling of being threatened or, um, it's some kind of insecurity yeah. so, somewhere, you know, that, because if we really look at this, this is bullying, <laughs> no matter, 100%. No, no, no matter how you want to want to look at it, whether it's from med students, residents, other physicians, nurses, like this is bullying. And what happens with bullying is some kind of insecurity is driving that. And from what I've seen in like the Reddit thread with the, with med students and residents is, you know, it gets down to systems issues. A lot of times, and I'm, I don't mean to speak for them if you're a resident listening or a med student, you know, they're working long, crazy hours with basically minimum wage when you end up, you know, 60 grand a year, and then you're dividing it by all the hours worked and everything involved in that. And that needs to change. And that's not what this conversation is about, but that's a system issue. And then that's driving a lot of this anger towards us if we're coming out making something similar without, you know, quote unquote, the training that they've had to endure type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, what's really interesting is that, and I don't know, I want to know your experience about this too, but but personally in the workplace, like I said, I had a few interactions or a few tension issues with nurses, but with physicians, physicians in the workplace have been great. I have I can count on one hand in my 10 years of practice the number of times I ever had an issue that was about some sort of power play or hierarchy or threatening situation. Like the majority of issues have been intelligent disagreements about the medical plan of care, which we sorted out through discussion, which is fine and healthy and okay. Right. But, you know, when I was working in the outpatient setting, the physicians were very, very happy for, for me to take on a lot of their patient load and free up some of their time and, and Mm -hmm. do their phone calls and their lab checks and their charting, you know, and in the emergency department, physicians were very happy when I would take on, you know, the lower acuity patients, or I would, take on the sexual Mm -hmm. assault patients, which no one seems to want to do, or, you know, take on the women with GYN complaints, which no one seems to want to do, which I'm, (laughs) I'm very happy to do all of those Or they're happy to come in and document critical care when I've helped stabilize an unstable patient that they're going to take credit for in their billing in their RBUs. So it seems like this two-faced situation because on paper and as a large group and behind a computer screen, you know, no one is shy about being anti-non-physician practitioner, but then in real life, they're very grateful for the help. So this is where I'm, this is where I struggle because it just, it feels like, you know, that 
friend you may have had when you were younger that was like really nice to you at the bus stop that when they got with the mean girls at school, they didn't talk to me. So it's very shocking. It's very shocking to see people have these opinions because I've had similar experiences too. I believe that no one's complaining. Like I, I mean, I personally am there, I'm doing my job. I'm collaborating. I'm asking questions when I know that there's something that I'm not sure about or I feel strongly about something. And I feel like nine and a half out of 10 times, physicians are very grateful for questions or things that I'm finding or, you know, I, and I've had really great relationships, but I don't, I was, (laughs) I was joking about like running earlier. Um, I did that because this is such like an emotionally charged topic, you know, and it definitely feels like, the friend that is nice to you and then stabs you in the back. (laughs) Right. And I think like something that I do want to acknowledge is that I recognize that there is likely a spectrum of nurse practitioner education. We know that to be true. There's a spectrum of preparedness. There's a spectrum of education. There's a spectrum of intelligence, right? right? As there is, I think in any profession, there's going to be a spectrum or a bell curve or or something. So, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, am I just fortunate enough that I'm on that end of the spectrum where I'm not a problematic practitioner? And am I blind to the fact that there are way more problematic practitioners than I have ever seen in, in my 10 years? Because I try to see things from all sides, right? right? Am I just blind to, or I don't, shouldn't use that term. Am I just not able to see? I shouldn't use that term either. Am I just <laughs> unaware? Unaware. Right, I'm trying to be inclusive. <laughs> I know. Am I unable to um, have an awareness of problems? And I don't know, you know, your thoughts on that in terms of colleagues you've had over the years. Like, is there any truth to <laughs> the attacks that we're getting? I don't know. I agree with you that people who aren't in this field need to recognize that we don't think that we've had the same training or education as our physician colleagues. We understand that, but we also have had very intense education and training. And so what it gets down to is us being able to work up into that level and and not be suppressed. I mean, I've had colleagues in every kind of not just as advanced practice providers, but as like nurses or residents, you know, there are some that aren't the greatest. And then there's some that are, you know, a little bit better in in how they, not so much even just their education, but how they execute something, you know, whatever task or patient interaction or encounter. Um, But overall, I don't see where there's this safety issue. And that's what the campaigns are really driving is that patients aren't safe under the autonomous care of advanced practice providers. And I I haven't seen anything that points to that in real life. Yeah. Yeah. And if anything, I think there are things that, you know, point out the opposite that we, that we provide, um, that we provide safe care for our patients. And, you know, the other thing too, and where this becomes bullying, I think, is the fact that I can, I as a person and as a professional and, and we as a profession can acknowledge that there's a spectrum of quality among physicians, right? Like I can say that because it's very likely the truth. 
but also say that I love physicians. I love working with physicians. I have actually no problem with physicians. And if there are some bad apples, quote unquote, or some people who, you know, are are low quality providers, then things are going to work themselves out in either, you know, them they're not, not going to work there anymore. Get a job, or you know, they're <laughs> yeah. going to lose their job, or they're right. going to have. I've seen. I've seen that, or whatever. Right, and and so I think I we can say that about our colleagues and still respect their profession. Right, we can say that about our own profession and still respect our profession. So that's part of the issue is that this turns into this nasty competition that I'm not really sure. Like, yes, they're using the claim of safety, but what is it, like, what's the real issue? Why are they actually so hateful towards us? I don't believe that it's under the guise of patient safety. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's some sort of feeling of of being threatened, thinking that we're going to take away their mm-hmm. patients, that we're going to take away their money, which again, isn't true because- we're the ones who work in the underserved rural areas of this country Mm -hmm. where they don't want to work. I think that's the real issue that bothers me because if there was any evidence about patient safety issues, you'd better believe that we'd be all over Mm -hmm. doing whatever we could to help that. I think you really hit on the key word in all of this, which is respect. And you know, I talked a little bit earlier about how this was really trying to divide us and at the most pinnacle time where we needed to come together. <laughs> and, you know, we still need to to come together to improve the system. And I don't think that, mo- I mean, most of the physicians I know, they're not out there to just make money. Like we all went into healthcare to help people. That's the common goal. And so that's what really bothers me about a lot of these campaigns is like you said, like, why are we, why are you trying to prevent us from doing this? So I live in Massachusetts and I went during my health policy course to the state house to, I believe it was a Senate hearing on full practice authority to mm-hmm. hear the bill, to, to hear the sides, to experience that. I'd, I've never been, I had never kind of gone through A to Z on how like a bill works. And to be literally a fly on the wall, <laughs> to be sitting there and seeing what was happening. So the the NPs went first and they made their case. And basically what we were just kind of talking about, about how we serve a lot of the rural areas and how you're limiting access to care by needing to have a physician, uh, supervising physician like on staff there while you're working type of thing. That's kind of a episode for another day. But to then see the physicians who are arguing against full practice authority and what they were saying, how I feel every time I hear or see something like this pop up. It's just like, it's gut wrenching. (laughs) And it feels like a personal attack because it's like, how can you say that about me? You don't even know me. (laughs) You know, you don't know us. You aren't you working with, with us in, in wherever, you know, facility you are. And, and how can you kind of feel this way? And so that's where it becomes like that emotional, like, attack really. Um, and so what was also talking to me was it was two female physicians were the ones who were really arguing to limit full practice authority. And one of them had said 
Well, my father was in a nursing home and ended up getting like the flu or like pneumonia from the flu. And this wasn't picked up by the nurse practitioner and he died. And that is why I don't agree with this. And I'm like, I'm very sorry for the death of your father and for the situation, but you're also not painting the full picture of what was going on. Did he have so many other things going you know, on medically? Are you sure that's what happened? Like, you're not painting that full picture. And that's what's happening with these campaigns. And that's what's happening in the Reddit threads is you're just really not painting the full picture. And when they're screenshotting someone's question, you know, it's leading to to even more bias. And so as I was, you know, sitting there trying not to explode, um, the representative from the AMA or from the Mass Medical Association in the state came up and he just looked so bored. (laughs) He was like, I've been here. I keep coming here every year. Like, (laughs) you know, he didn't say that obviously, but this is like, he just looked like he didn't want to be there. And he was just so annoyed that he had to still come here and basically said like one sentence, like, we don't agree with it from this organization. (laughs) And I'm like, that's your argument, you know? And so anyways, this year we finally got full practice authority. Um, we were like the last state in all of New England to have that happen. And to also, you know, that was one of the arguments. And what one of the questions was from one of the um, like uh, representatives on the Senate was, does this happen other places? Yeah, it happened in like 22 other <laughs> states or districts. <laughs> and like, you guys are the last in the, the New England region to have this happen, you know? And so look at all the other data from all the other states around, check the facts kind of thing. And so that year it did not pass. And I think it passed the House, but not the Senate or like however that went. But I was just so shocked too that as the majority of our profession are female, that's just how it's kind of been. And to have other females like attacking or like not supporting, uh, you know, the profession, it got me thinking like, why is that? (laughs) You know, I don't know, is it them also feeling marginalized in this like hierarchy? I saw something the other day about gender bias and how, you know, f- female physicians are always thought to be the nurse. And I I feel for them for that because they have worked exceptionally hard and they should be able to, you know, be recognized as they enter the room as as the leader of that team, you know, or whatever. And so yeah, I just I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that because that really sitting there and watching the hearing unfold, I was like, all right, I need to kind of get more involved. I had already been, you know, in the mass coalition of nurse practitioners and just realized how we need to be making the changes and how we need to be, you know, again, at the table for a lot of what's going on and what's being dictated in regards to healthcare. Yeah, I I totally agree. And, and, you know, I wanted to kind of conclude our conversation, not with, I don't want to end on, you know, discussing this us versus them animosity situation. But what I want to say is that we can be focused on solutions, right? right? Like that's part of how we're trained to figure out and solve a problem, right? Like after assessing and collecting information, like how, what type of solutions can we propose? And I think you touched on one, which is from the policy level, right? You know, making sure that nurse practitioners, advanced practice nurses, non-physician practitioners are represented well in the legal system, in the policy setting, you know, in terms of practice authority. I think that is one really great example. 
of solutions. And, you know, if anyone feels strongly about these things, I encourage you to get involved with your local, um, your local chapter, you know, your advanced practice provider chapter. I think something else too, because, you know, I want to kind of tie back to the fact that a lot of this has come to light through social media, right? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of these campaigns have been based on the fact of the exploitation of what our profession has been seeking on social media. And, you know, when a newer NP or a student is posting a medical question on a social media forum, like that's a symptom of them not having enough support. Right. Uh, It's not necessarily a symptom of a they don't know education or that they don't know but it means that they they don't know what they don't know and they don't know how to get the information that they need right so that's kind of how i feel like personally i feel invested in mm-hmm. helping this problem kind of from the the ground up i mean it's no secret that i love new nurse practitioners and i love supporting new nurse practitioners, whether it's, you know, job seeking or transition to practice or those first, you know, three to five years of practice. So, you know, it makes me think about what are ways that we can make sure that nurse practitioners are supported in their their daily life, whether it's making sure that they have the right people in their practice to ask clinical questions, um, or whether it's making sure that they're connected appropriately to other colleagues to lean on for those more difficult scenarios because they absolutely come up and and usually the, the people at home for us can't help us work through some of these medical problems or you know care coordination problems or social problems that we look for help with so that's just another way that I think we could help that it would hopefully decrease those posts on social media and also kind of increase newer nurse practitioners figuring out how to utilize their resources appropriately. Right. And I think that's what's been really powerful for our social media, you know, NP social media, if you will, um, is that people are trying to create those resources. So you are by, you know, that NP society and the mentoring that you're doing and I'm doing. And, you know, Liz from Real World NP trying to, you know, touch on a lot of the big things that you're learning as you start, you know, everybody, it's, it's, it's really nice to see all of that. And I think empowering each other is just, I'm very passionate about that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, a call to action for, for people listening, if you are um, an NP or a student and you're interested in policy, go get involved in your local chapter of your professional organization. If you are still a student or you're, you know, new to practice, you know, go look and seek out resources or a community, whether it's an in-person community where you live or an online community like the NP Society or, you know, a core group of social accounts that you follow so that you, you know, know where to look to for certain information, like figure out what your you network. can do to supplement exactly your network that's going to supplement those you know textbooks and you know online evidence resources and then i think you know if you are a physician listening first of all i'm surprised <laughs> second of all no. uh, or if you're you know a med student or a resident i know we don't have a ton of that type of listenership on this show but maybe someone has sent it to you because of the topic at hand we are open and invite 
intelligent and emotionally intelligent dialogue about this conversation. So I'd love to hear from anybody who has thoughts about this whole conversation. You can reach out on Instagram. You can screenshot and tag us. You know, I'm at the resume RX. Jenna is at my NP Jenna. There are some underscores in there, I think, or feel free to reach out directly if you want to chat more. Yeah. I just want to say one more thing to a physician that I follow had posted about this again, about full practice authority and, you know, really trying to focus in on the hours that we have and, and all of that. That's usually part of the campaign. And you know, the person (laughs) was saying that we were going to school to become lobbyists. And that is not the case. And so as we are talking about getting more involved and, you know, health policy and things like that, I think they were saying that lobbyists in regards to the NP profession or the PA professions. But I just wanted to make sure that people understood that that is not, <laughs> that's not really a part of it. Definitely <laughs> not. It's not. And, it, and it's really health policy to improve our, our very fractured healthcare system. And so I actually opened the dialogue with this physician because I was like, I just want you to know that I didn't go to school to become a lobbyist. <laughs> so, oh, no, no, I didn't think that. I love NPs. I love PAs. I actually have an FMP as my primary care provider. And I was like, okay, but you, the message that you're sending when you post things like this is, yes, you're trying to advocate for yourself and for your profession, but you're also trying to like minimize us. And, right. and, and it doesn't and have to be either or. It doesn't. Ha- no, we no, can, We can all be successful and happy and work together. Imagine that. Yes. It's, and again, we're going back to what we did to become healthcare providers, and that was to care for patients and to help people. You know, So that's the message I want everybody to, <laughs> to yes. have. I think that's a great message to round out our our conversation is that, you know, we we love patients. We want patients to be happy and successful and thriving. We want our colleagues to be happy and successful and thriving no matter what credential they have because happy thriving providers equals happy thriving patients, right? Absolutely. When we are all, you know, operating at you know, in our genius zone and in our top peak performance, it means that we're delivering the best care to our patients. And that's um, a beautiful cycle um, that can uh, help keep us all where we want to be. So with that, Jenna, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, and we thank everyone uh, who is listening. Yeah, so thank you thanks, so much Jenna. for having me. Such an honor. Yeah, let's do it again. Yes, definitely. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.